Hey guys, hey ladies, hey friends, hey foes. We just wanted to take a second to remind you that while we're okay swearing when little ears are listening, you might not be, and that's okay. So here's your chance to pause us and wait for nap time, or pop in your earbuds. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Done Playing by the Rules. My name is Janelle. And I'm Jenna. And And if you are watching on YouTube, you see we have a third screen. So today we have a special guest. Um, Her name is Virginia. Virginia, do you want to say hello? Hello, everyone. Today's episode is going to focus on kind of all of life's struggles and Mm -hmm. All of us that choose to persevere. And if someone in your life is struggling, how to know when you can help and how to know how to walk away and how to establish good boundaries. And so a little preface to this is Virginia and myself, Janelle, went to high school together. And we knew each other and we like had circles that like kind of came. Would you say that we had circles that kind of overlapped a little bit? Oh, absolutely. And then I always thought she was super rad because we went to like a very conservative school and she didn't really seem to give a shit about that, which I loved. And, you know, everybody goes off to college. Nobody keeps in touch. Facebook wasn't a thing. And so you just kind of forget about all these people. And then I ran into Virginia again um, at a mall in Minnesota, probably five or six years ago now. I was with my husband and I think our first kid was under a year. Virginia, do you remember when I ran into you at the mall five or six years ago? I absolutely do not. Okay. So I saw Virginia in the children's section of Nordstrom, which is our favorite place to hang out when we had a one-year-old. I said, we talked for maybe quick five minutes. There were kids running all around. It was crazy. And I said to my husband after we walked away, I distinctly remember this. I said to my husband, she looks even more beautiful than she did in high school. And well, no, because a lot of people, you know, we were 10 (laughs) years out or whatever by then. And I was like, ugh. But when you see somebody who's become strikingly more beautiful after high school, you're like, okay. And I said, but I can tell that there's something off about her. I think she's on something because I've had my own issues with substances and mental health Mm -hmm. and I can just really pick it up in people. So I totally forgot about it. And then every once in a while it would jump in my head because I'm someone that wants to rescue everyone. And every once in a while, I would think I should reach out to Virginia and see how she's doing because I'm going to save the world. So years and years go by. And then this last summer, Glennon Doyle's book Untamed came out. And it was during the COVID summer where we were all like hiding in our house. Some of us were hiding in our houses. (laughs) I was wrestling with whether or not to homeschool my kids because it was so outside the norm. And I was wrestling with like all like, I felt like I was moving my kids around too much and it was outside the norm. And holding Zach back from kindergarten was too outside the norm. And I posted that I was reading Untamed and Virginia reached out to me and said, oh my God, girl, like that book has changed my life. And we both just like went crazy in our like solo book club. Oh, that's and, cool. Jen- and Jenna read it too. So she knows what we're talking about. And I mm-hmm. hope everyone has read it because if you haven't, you need to. And then more recently, I have a really close 
girlfriend that I lived with in college and then after college when Josh and I were dating. And she is still struggling with um, an eating disorder and substance abuse. And I full head first dove into trying to rescue her. And uh, she's still actively using, she's still actively, um, I don't know, is the wording practicing her eating disorder, Virginia? Well, how's the polite way to say that or the correct way to say that? Well, so I did listen to the other, the male addiction episode. Um, yep. Your husband, Jenna, I, mm-hmm. I did. I did listen in and I too, I call myself an addict. And so I think somebody who is an active addiction, we usually say that they are an active addiction, but we're okay. all addicts. But so that would they sense. also be active eating disorder or is it just fall under yeah, addiction? Same. Yeah. Okay. Active eating disorder. Yeah. So active eating disorder. And I, I mean, I think she's had some very serious health complications. I mean, 10 years ago when I lived with her, she was struggling with very severe um, issues. She reached out to me. And so (laughs) I reached out to Virginia and said, I really don't know what to do. How can I help her? And Virginia basically just guided me that you can't help people that aren't ready to be helped. And that Mm -hmm. is hard for me to hear and hard for me to understand. And I said, and she told me a little bit about how she kind of healed her life and the road that she is on to healing. And I said, would you be willing to come on the podcast and tell us a little bit about your life story? And then also additionally, give us a little bit of advice for those of us that are rescuers that can't stop trying to rescue people that aren't ready to be rescued. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I'm going to let Virginia um, kind of start her story from high school and tell us. So I knew Virginia as a surface friend, but there was a lot more going on under the surface in high school that I didn't know that I hope she will tell us about and then jenna will keep us on track with all the questions that we want to make sure we get answered <laughs> I'll okay, do so do best. we want to go through my i have no problem going through my trauma or do we want to talk about individuals who need to not be rescuers first i think we should start with your trauma and kind of because you didn't know about individuals that didn't need rescuing until you started <laughs> to heal from your trauma straight up so yeah <laughs> here is like the this is my trauma wrapped up in a bow this is a quick version Um, I'm actually going to go back a little bit further for you so you can understand. Um, My dad left when I was two years old. It was the first time I saw anorexia. At eight years old, I was molested for the first time and I started smoking. Both of my cousins committed suicide. Um, I was molested in my younger years previous to high school, but I did carry that all through it. Um, I was a cutter. I was suicidal. I had extreme amount of shame. I was anorexic. I had stayed in the psych ward twice at this point. Um, right after high school, I, I did two uh, two stints there, if you want to call it that. I've been to rehab oh, yeah, twice. It, yeah. <laughs> well, they, they kind of treat you like a prisoner. So it's a kind little of bit, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have gone to rehab twice. Once has been successful. I was married in a very, very toxic marriage. I was outed at 18. So I do identify as lesbian. I did go at 18 to court for the molestation that happened in my life. That person is still actively actively a part of my family dynamic. So there's another twist. Um, I've done all the drugs. A murder has happened to my family. Um, I've had three TBIs, seizures. I was asked to participate in conversion therapy. So, and then I was like, right, I had written this list and I was like, enough. So to sum it all up, the things that were meant to kill me didn't, even when it was my own desire. Wow. Yeah. I'm not going to even start crying three minutes. I know. So good day to you. (laughs) Okay. So 
I think that is such a beautiful sentiment, and I'm gonna get that as my first tattoo. The things that were meant to kill me did not, even though even when one of them was me. And yeah. I also didn't know anything about the. Do you like that? My I I was just like, okay, there was a murder. Oh, conversion therapy, like that's yeah, a trigger trigger. word. Like I can't. I can can't you with conversion therapy? Can you explain a little bit for people that don't know what conversion therapy is? Yeah, I absolutely. I was actually yeah. an adult when I was brought to a seminar. I was sold that it was going to be a seminar and I'm mid dinner and I start looking around and well, I have good gaydar as you can imagine. And um, <laughs> I am uh, looking around. I'm like, a lot of these people are gay. <laughs> I like whisper that over to the person yeah. who brought me and they're like, yeah, they, they were. And I was like, wait, what? No, 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 no. And then the thing and right. And so I, I um, promptly sent a message and left the the venue. And Good for um, you. yeah, of course, of course, this is wow. was not a choice. So um, nobody would choose to be nobody ever in their life would be like, pick me. I want to be the person who's ostracized from society. Yeah. No one picks that. So can I get an additional challenge on top of my challenges? Please, exactly. I would love to opt in for an additional challenge. Like nobody. No. Oh, my gosh. Conversion and do you mind sharing? Or, do you mind sharing if it was a friend or a family member that brought you? Family member. Oh, wow. Wow. And so we should mention that um, Virginia and I did go to a religious um, high school. And so mm. there would have been, I imagine, and I can't speak for you, but uh, my guess would be there was a lot. Of, did you understand your sexuality in high school? I knew I was gay when I was eight. Okay. So you had to just like, ch- did you, I don't know. I was, I, I went, did you come up through private school too? For sure. Yeah. From okay. first, first, I came grade. in from public. And so I, that was my first experience to private school was, wasn't until 10th grade. And so I'm you lived sorry. that life. You lived that life. <laughs> <Yeah>. through. <laughs> you lived that life through your entire childhood or prepubescent puberty, knowing what you knew and knowing you couldn't probably tell anyone. 10,000%. Oh my gosh. Oh my and was your marriage to a man or a woman? A woman. And then I was she had at the time ahead. in high school, though I was with a man. Okay. Engaged. Oh wow. In high school. Yeah. And then I was oh, outed. Goodness. So they when we graduated, I was outed the same year. I was 18 when we I think I was 18 or 19. So another thing about dates, it's all true. My timeline is really uh difficult because like you brought up, I don't even remember seeing you, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's gonna be things um but yeah, I was outed right when I right after high school. Well, and you also have a um, underlying grief story. And Jed and I have spoken on many a podcast that when there's any sort of grief or any sort of trauma, one of the first thing that dies is your mental timeline and your ability to keep track of time. And so, oh my gosh. any mix-ups here, we completely relate to. Um, oh. How long after high school did you get married? Um, so I got married in 2011. Oh, so it was a while. And how long were you with your partner before you got married? So when I was engaged to a male, okay. who outed, he's who outed me. Oh, my God. And so then I was in my first same-sex relationship when I was 19. Wow. I'm very upset about this outing. I know. I don't yeah. I- did it's a you way to do it? Yeah. Did you share <laughs> that with him, or was it just he kind of put everything together, or he hacked sharing my email? That? Oh, yeah, yeah, he hacked my email. So cool. somebody you trusted. 
Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Oh my I'm God. Sorry. That is hard. All right. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to find him and fight him. So it'll be all fine. right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So you, does your drug use and self-harm predate your marriage or predate high school even? Or when did that start? When I was eight. Okay. So all of that kind of. I was like, so I would, I identify as starting as an actual addict though at the age of 15. Okay. And how did you you have access to all of that at such a young age? Was it just in your environment? I mean, I went to private school. So all the kids are rich and all their parents are always out of town and you can get whatever you want whenever you want. It's (laughs) not so difficult. (laughs) Wow. It's bananas. It's like when you see it on like TV shows, like that's what it was like. Like I can just go to so-and-so's house. They'll have everything you want. And it's a free for all for kids because parents are gone. Um, I can relate to that. (laughs) I drank in high school. Like I brought vodka in with orange juice every day. I mean, I left class and winga. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I always tell people, people always ask me, you know, would you, would you send your kids to private school? No, no, I would not. Um, Yeah. No. So. Well, and especially with all of the trauma, like no one could know what traumas that you had either. Did you ever Mm -hmm. reach out to anyone in high school? Cause I, I probably had a different experience than you, but I felt like there were trustworthy guidance counselors at our high school. I never personally dealt with any of them, but I felt like people did really like them. Did you ever reach out to anyone in high school? I had a specific professor who I'm still close with, who I did. I did her and I, we um, maintained a relationship and we still maintain one. So yeah. Yeah. There were people at our high school that were so goddamn wonderful, (laughs) but they had to be sneaky about it. They couldn't be open about it. You couldn't be open about supporting women's reproductive rights. You couldn't be open about any of that. And so, okay, Jenna, what do you think? What's our next question? What was your lowest point or points to where you were like rock, rock bottom? So I had a a grand mal seizure in Janelle, not, you said five years. So probably not long after that. And you had mentioned also that you had three TBIs. Can you tell us how Mm -hmm. that happened? Yeah. My first one, my first TBI happened when I was at work. I slammed my head on a safe. Okay. Uh, the second one happened in a car accident and the third one additionally happened in a car accident. Okay. Were you, you also- driving in those accidents or was it in both? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any knowledge. Like we don't have any TBI car accident knowledge. We are <laughs> hitting your head on the ground knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wild. And what people don't know about traumatic brain injuries, Jenna and I want to start like a side business of just a nonprofit where people have resources to help with traumatic brain injuries. Because until you know somebody that has one, you know nothing. And it Mm is such a life devastating situation. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Are you still dealing with side effects from your TBI? Not mentally. So I also, uh, we've, we've pinpointed, I do have TM, I have TMJ and really, really bad. And I have it from jaw jacking when I was a meth addict. And okay. um, also in the process of my TBIs, probably putting my jaw further and further mm. out of place. That was another reason I used I mean, we'll go through, we can go through some of the, the drugs that I've used, obviously. I mean, I think that's important that people understand. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think it's it's just very, going through a TBI too, just to say this, two of them I was not sober for. There's a whole different, that's like, 
you're talking about, right, you want to look at this nonprofit, like how do we support these? There's a whole slew of addicts who have had TBIs who need to be supported as well. I mean, it's just yes. like a, another, it's another thing on another thing. So yeah. It's another yeah. fucking hurdle for anybody for sure. to get sobered up. I know people that ha- are um, currently addicts that have had um, partial face- facial paralysis or mm-hmm. partial um, or have had strokes. And like, imagine that being an additional hurdle to, uh, hurdle to mm-hmm. you getting clean is like, oh, but also part of my face is going to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. Or also, I've had a stroke and this part of my leg doesn't work and these types of things. And I just think that if we can start supporting addiction, then we can Mm -hmm. also spin that into supporting people that have additional hurdles like Mm -hmm. houselessness and um, TBIs and strokes and these other issues that play into, I don't, what are your thoughts on, I've heard people say addiction is a symptom of an illness. What are your thoughts in that regard? So to me, addiction is a symptom of trauma. I like that. I do I too. like that a lot. I can't think of a person that could say, you know what? Addiction sounds good and I've had no trauma. So bring it on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, that is exactly what, um, it is what all the things are that we use to numb ourselves. And, okay. you know, I mean, I think Brene Brown said it perfectly. When we numb the good, we also numb the bad and vice versa. When we numb the bad, we also numb the good. Yes. Absolutely. All right. What's your next question, Jenna? Did we want to go over like your history with drugs and alcohol. I know you mentioned you were open to yeah, kind of talking totally. about that. Yeah, we over it. Um, let's see. So when I was 15, I was an alcoholic. It started with alcohol. Um, I smoked marijuana here and there. I didn't really like the effect of it at that age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My 21st birthday, instead of having my first drink, I became an IV meth user. And oh. I entered a world that if you've never been there, if you know anyone who is struggling with meth addiction, they are in a world that we all live in, but none of us see. And it's a very, very wild, wild. It's probably, you know, one of the the things was like, what is a low point? And I remember when I was a meth addict and you would think like being an IV drug user, right? Which is some people don't even understand what that means. So let's just break oh, it down. Oh, you're going to explain it. I was going to say, can yeah. you explain it? Because I feel like I am pretty knowledgeable when it comes to drug use methods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually, a, it's a, a lot of addicts use IV. Um, so you shoot up with a needle and a, yeah. and um, it's a different high and it's a different, it is also its own addiction. Shooting up with a needle becomes its own addiction and we can, yeah. One day we could talk about that too, you know. It, it, well, and that falls along the lines of, and correct me, your job is to correct me when I'm wrong, because I will be, because sure. you know the story and I only know what I've read. I read a lot about this stuff. There is no quicker rush, and I hope none of this is triggering wording to you, but the rush of an intravenous usage of drugs is entirely different than you can ever attain via smoking or snorting. I mean, we're just going to keep it real, right? Because that's what we're here for. And that's yes. that's how we help other people. And to keep it yeah. real, that rush is another addiction, right? So like the needles become addiction. Mm-hmm. People get addicted to like shooting up so much that if they don't have drugs, they will shoot up with water. I mean, you, I've seen what? some stuff. I didn't wow. know. I've seen some dark, dark places. And think about it though, alcoholics, we don't realize mm-hmm. how much this has affected people being in this global trauma that we're all in, which is yeah. COVID. 
19 and yeah. addicts, alcoholics will drink hand sanitizer. Think of how mm-hmm. much hand sanitizer is available to people right now. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen some dark, dark stuff, but yes, you are correct. It for me absolutely was another addiction in the rush. I never even thought about that. Cause if you think about it, like as people quit smoking, sometimes they give them like a placebo cigarette and mm-hmm. Because it's a part of the addiction, you would even shoot mm-hmm. up water just for that humanoid feeling of doing the repetitive next thing. I remember after I got, so I did get sober from methamphetamine and I stopped my IV addiction as well. And I remember the first time they took blood, I looked at the nurse and I said, if you're going to take blood, you better put something back, you know, in that's even better. And <laughs> she looked at me like, oh my God. And I was like, oh, it's true. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't even. Yeah. That's one of those things that you're still going to always have to get blood draws and stuff. It's always going to be a thing. Yeah. So I think about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not triggering. It's just more of like a reminder of like, yeah, you did the thing. Well, And I think that's something that we can also touch on is once you are, and I don't know if you consider yourself like, I don't know if addicts ever were never fully healed, but once you kind of come out on the other side, things that were triggering become livable instead oh, sure. of something that's going to cause a relapse. If you're not in the right head headspace, that is something that will cause a relapse. If you're kind of coming out the other side, you look at it, acknowledge what it is, and then move along with your day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I'm 827 days into my sobriety, and I don't think about drugs the way that I used to. So absolutely, you know, but it's the same thing. If you think about trauma, the further away we get from trauma, the easier it is for us to heal and right dissect it and and deal with it in a really different way. So I think that's true of most things, but definitely as an addict, it was interesting because you said, I hope I don't say anything triggering. There's not much that triggers me even anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I think so too. So is that your history with drugs? Are we good on that one? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell us all your drugs. Oh my I just want to make no. sure we don't like shortchange any of your story. I really, I wish I could have told you that's the end of my, <laughs> my story, but it's definitely not close. So I was an addict for 20 years. I didn't get sober till I was 35 years old. And that was the first time. So I also, we can get in that too. I relapsed, but um, I do want to touch on relapse because mm-hmm. I want people to know it's okay. The average American relapses seven times before it mm-hmm. sticks. So I want people to not give up on people the first time. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. Mostly don't give up on yourself the first time. Yes. The incredible amount of shame and it's a really hard process, but yeah, we'll go over it. Um, so let's see, I got sober. I went to, so that was the first time I went to rehab was when I was on meth. My mom came and picked me up and she drove to a lake and she said, do you want to go to jail or rehab? And I was like, wow, wow. I didn't even know she knew. And um, I said, okay, I'll go to rehab. I of course signed myself out three days later, but I never did touch meth again. And I never used IV drugs again. Oh, I did become, I went right back to alcohol though. Um, yeah. So numbing for me never ended. Mm-hmm. And then alcohol became, it wasn't enough anymore. It wasn't the high I wanted anymore. And marijuana even laced. Um, I had marijuana laced with many things, uh, right? And so I've done ecstasy. I mean, I've done a lot of drugs. And I started to find though that waking up after a blackout, 
not understanding with some of my trauma, I thought I need to find a drug that I can do that doesn't do that for me. Um, So my doctor became my drug dealer. And Mm. in 2012, I was in a car accident and I was given Percocet Mm -hmm. and I became addicted to Percocet for five years. I actually know maybe five people this has happened to like inner circle. So this is a very common opioid situation. Percocet is an opioid, correct? Absolutely. Yep. And so it, you get such a good feeling from it. You're taking it for a legitimate reason. You have an injury. Doctors prescribe it, which I think we could do a whole nother podcast on how doctors Mm -hmm. maybe don't prescribe, don't prescribe it anymore, but let's say that for another day. Um, then that high is ingrained in your mind and you will do anything to maintain that even when you can't get it from a doctor anymore. Yeah. I, I think with Percocet, you know, one of the Percocet is higher used by women than it is males. And it is prescribed to women more than it is to males. It is a drug that, I mean, you can go in and have a good size, you know, gash on your arm and they'll say, here's a prescription Percocet. Mm-hmm. And they'll give you a lot. Oh, I remember at the beginning, I was prescribed two, I think it was like 275 Percocet for a month. Yeah. At the height of my addiction though. So if we kind of break it down, because Percocet, I think is, is really important for people to understand. One milligram of Percocet is not like this high dose. Five milligrams is what usually is prescribed, not Mm -hmm. a high dose, but a dose high enough to get addicted right there. Five milligrams is, and just one time that's enough to, to turn someone's head. I took two five milligram Percocet the first time I took them and I never took two again. Wow. I always, yeah. I mean, at the high, the highest part of my addiction, I was, so if you think of it in this way, you can think of how much money I've spent now. If I tell you it's five years and one milligram is $1. And I was doing 250 to 300 milligrams a day. A day. Wow. A day. And how do you get them once your doctor stops writing the prescription? Or are you one of those people that the doctor never stops writing the prescription who I know some of? Oh, no. The prescription ran out. Um, Okay. And he wouldn't give you any more? He actually got fired. (laughs) I mean, he had had his... They're starting to catch up to those guys. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he he is no longer a doctor. He he lost his license to be a doctor. Yeah. And I, how do you get that um, without, you know, putting Too myself much detail. in jail? Yes. <laughs> um, there's a whole network of us. You don't have to tell me how yeah. you procured it. Yeah, how, no, network. So it's you can just call thing. a friend and be like, you know, a guy that knows a guy. It's the same if I want heroin. It's the same if I want a lot of men. It's the same. So I, I think what's really important to we need to also destigmatize what we are sometimes diagnosed with. So I've I have anxiety and I have depression. So I'm only currently dealing with any anxiety. So depression has really changed since I've become clean, actually. However, like anxiety, I still take a medication because I can't find one better yet that I was actually addicted Mm -hmm. to, which is Klonopin. Mm -hmm. And now I've taken it in a very different way. And uh, I've never misused it, but there were years upon years upon years that I was prescribed this medication and misused it. And so Jenna's been on Klonopin, so she's doctor. familiar with. Sure. Yeah. 
And I think that, so some of it can come from a doctor and clonopin. We're not here to bash clonopin. Clonopin mm-hmm. has a medical reason to be in the world. I'm not so sure about Percocet, but I'm not a doctor. Um, but for example, Josh had like a very minor um, oral surgery, like a two hour surgery the other day. And the doctor sent him home with a huge thing of Percocet without Josh mm-hmm. even asking or being conscious. When I picked up Josh, he was unconscious and he just had a baggie, like a little kid full of Percocet. And I was like, you're never touching these like no. ever for any reason. So get some Tylenol and call it good because I just am very hypervigilant in terms of what I know, how quickly that one Percocet can flip the key in your brain to unopen, to open up the door. And I just, it, it's bananas to me that it is so widely prescribed still. I was just talking to an addict, uh, 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 two weeks ago and they had just relapsed and they were asking like, what do I do? Like I had this again, a minor oral surgery was given a prescription. Didn't right. Like addicts, we create plans if I were, so I've needed to have oral surgery for a few years. I haven't had it yet. I've decided now I feel comfortable yeah. getting that script, telling my doctor the truth. Also, I have, I just want to give a shout out to like my main man, who is my doctor. He, I've been working with him. He's known my whole story. He knows all about my addiction and my recovery. And he's who still prescribes me Klonopin, right? I have to take it for anxiety. And the thing about that is we have that trust process of, mm-hmm. you know, this is on you. This is my mm-hmm. journey, right? I get to choose to be clean or not. But I think it was really important and very, very much needs to be said. Keep taking your fucking medication, please. Mm-hmm. We try every time <laughs> oh my we gosh. end this podcast. You cannot stop not taking it. Take Do it not. and take it and take it for as long as you need to. And even if it's scary, just the. I feel like if you're taking a medication that feels scary to you, like mm-hmm. for example, myself, I didn't feel comfortable just because my family has such a strong history. Um, and myself, I needed Xanax. My doctor and I have the same relationship you and your doctor have. And I said, I need extended release Xanax so I can't get high off it and take it as needed because I'm not mm-hmm. the type of person that should be taking things as needed. I need to take it in the morning and then you're done, girlfriend. And so I take mine right a, before bed. Yeah. If you can find a doctor that you can have that open dialogue with, especially if you're in an addiction right now and you can say, this is where I'm at. I'm always going to be this way. I need you to keep like make sure that we're both honest with each other. And if I start looking like a liar, you called me on it, stick with that doctor. (laughs) Yeah. And the fact that your doctor has taken the time to get to know your history, because when you're saying all of this, I guarantee you, or I can almost guarantee those doctors didn't ask you about your addiction history, or even if you had one. Because personally, when I was taking Klonopin, I didn't know until a good three years later that it was even could become addictive. No one had ever told me that. And then I was expected to just get off of it on my own. And it was, it was miserable. And no one had ever even mentioned like anything about addiction or anything. And I have a history of it in my family. Same. Obviously I don't want to like act like I don't. Same. Um, I think what's really important to say is, yeah, I tried to self, uh, you know, get through Klonopin. I was trying to get off of Klonopin mm-hmm. at the time. It's when I had my grand mal seizure. Actually, wow. I was about seven days with almost zero sleep. And finally my body had a seizure to shut it down. And um, nobody did, nobody tells you just like when my doctor handed me Percocet, he wasn't like, you're yeah. going to get addicted and I'll see you in five years. Right. You know, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a fucking absurd. I still can't get over that he gave you 275 pills of Percocet for like, I obviously reason why he has no license. But anyways, moving along. Janelle's going to have to do a full episode by herself where she just talks shit about Percocet and doctors that prescribe (laughs) opioids. (laughs) Did you ever have any family members during all of this time who tried to intervene? Or friends? Um, only my mother. You only your only mom. Mother. And did she and twice. know? Okay. Did she know during high school and everything that was going on throughout? And did you? Do you have any tips for a mom who might be listening that wants to intervene? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do this. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Here's the thing: if this is my stance, I'm saying this as my, my stance. So let's just talk about the rescuing. This can kind of come in with the rescuing, okay? Thank you. Mm -hmm. I need it. So here it is. We only save people who can't save themselves. So that means if children are involved, that means if there is a partner who you know is in a narcissistic relationship with a drug addict and can't do anything, right? So this has to be very specific. I'll say it again. We can only- I'm writing it down. I did too. (laughs) And I'm watching to make sure you are. Yeah. (laughs) We only save people who cannot save themselves. Okay. So, so, so storyline, right? Within the last year, my great niece, I removed her from a situation with parents who, and I did that. And I still cannot see her, but I saved her life. And that's where we're at. But instead of saving her parents, I saved her. Wow. Wow. Because I can't save her parents. Mm-hmm. She was the only person I could say. Oh my God. That's so powerful. Just even the, I know I needed a defining line in the sand for people that are savable and not savable. Cause if it was up to me, I would save everyone. And I spent literally, and Virginia knows this. I spent hours talking to my old roommate and nothing was happening and nothing was changing. And I was like, this, I'm spending time that I could be spending with my babies trying to talk this person through something that I don't necessarily know that they want help with. Like how many times am I going to repeat this cycle in my life? And so Virginia also will come back around to, and I want you to tell us more tips on how to know when we can help someone and how we can't, but Mm -hmm. also what are you, so currently you are studying to become a what? An art therapist. So can you tell us us, like, yeah, what that is? Jenna and I are so excited about our (laughs) therapy. We love all types of therapy and you've introduced us to a new one and we feel like you just showed us the best restaurant in town and we need to hear all about it. Well, it is the best restaurant. So so you guys know. Um, (laughs) All right. So I'm an artist. I am actually, um, I'm a published artist, which is probably something you don't know, right? You don't. Um, I'm a black and white photographer. I am also working on a thesis on how photography can, so this is my personal thesis that I'm working on to get my doctorate. Um, And it is how photography can be used to heal generational trauma. So there's my thesis, if that tells you anything. I love generational trauma. Also, (laughs) side note. (laughs) Okay. Amazing. Our therapy though is what saved my life. And what actually happened was um, I have the most badass goddamn cheetah art therapist ever and no i won't tell you who she is and no i won't give anyone her number but she's yours she is it's just so happened um my ex-wife 
at the time she had, a, she was already my ex-wife and she asked me, do you want to go to this thing? I'm going to go to this art therapy. And we were not, we were very, uh, it was a very toxic, very, very mm-hmm. toxic marriage, uh, very abusive in all the ways. Even that was like its whole thing leaving. She was also an addict. So we were addicts together. It was a really, really bad situation. There were kids involved, a whole thing. I could go on for days about how much shame right? Because that's like another thing you have shame about when you get clean, then you have the shame of the people that you abused or put Mm -hmm. through abuse, right? Because you're not showing up the way you're supposed to, but we won't go there. However, I went to art therapy um, and I sat down at a table and wearing all black, just want to bring that up, just wearing all black (laughs) because that's my favorite color. And um and people who say it's not a color, it's a it's a fucking color. It's, so just it's leave only alone. color. So let us live. <laughs> um, and uh, I sat down, and she handed me a book, and I looked at her like, "What is this for?" And so it was, this was group art therapy, of course. Uh, my ex-wife was there. There was some other participants, and I was like doing the damn thing, and I'm like, you know, this is all right. And she gives you a book, and you kind of whitewash pages, and you start doing artwork on the pages, and so you're like repurposing a book, which of course I'm like vibing with. I'm like, I like this vibe. Oh yeah, I, you know, yeah. Then, I'm already into it. <laughs> <laughs> and then like uh, you're making art, right? And then all of a sudden the trauma comes up, right? And like, so what does that piece mean? And I'm like, wait, okay. what? And mm-hmm. she's like, well, tell me about the piece. And I'm like, what kind of witchcraft is this? <laughs> Right. I tell her all the time. I told her, I talked to her yesterday and told her about this whole thing. And I'm like, you are such a witch. And I mean that oh, in the most like loving. We oh yeah. think witch is the best compliment you can give someone. Yep. And same, like, I know I am. Right. Yes, and so yes. I vibed with, with her, um, on a totally different level. She wanted me to tell you this though, that she doesn't do shit. And I show up every week and do the work mm-hmm. and she wants to oh. make sure but that oh, is yes. said and that that is the storyline because it is her who has learned f- more from me than she could ever teach me. So and wow. that's amazing that she is transferring. Uh, she's not only transferring that power to you, but she's transferring that responsibility to you. And I respect the fuck out of that. Mm-hmm. I played a little game on my ex-wife, I guess. I did. I was like, I'm going to keep her. So I, you can't see her because I'm going to go. Her. And so and I got to keep her. And if I didn't get, leave anything with that marriage, I got to keep her. <laughs> I'm a therapist. <laughs> yeah. You can have everything else. Yeah. And then we started working on art one-on-one. Um, it's an art studio. So there's it's everything you can imagine about art. Okay. It's all there. And then you just start doing work and all of a sudden you realize that you are putting on paper what you can't say with words and you start talking about things through art through visuals through shapes through colors through the void of color whatever it might be most of my pages are black Um, (laughs) but it is totally this process and I'd like to call an art therapy my unraveling and it unraveled all of me. And now I am just kind of raveling myself back up. I'm at that point. Mm. right? Now. So how can someone, do you have any idea about this, find art therapy in their area? Because I always say like, go on psychologytoday.com, but I right. don't think this is a psychologytoday.com situation. No, type it in. Um, type in art therapy. Type in. Okay. Uh, so there's a, a quite a big art therapy basis in St. Paul. Um, there's only one school in Minnesota, which I will inevitably be at shortly. Yep. 
Um, but there's only one school in Minnesota that you can be an accredited art therapist. So Adler is the school. And I'll just say that. So if, if people okay. really need resources, Adler is a, a really good resource. They can get you connected with somebody. The internet is a really beautiful resource as well. It's yeah. not this underground thing like it used to be. It did really used to be. Yeah, underground. It's it now did. starting to become a really big art form. And, well, and I know that my mom. My mom went to um, a couple inpatient treatment things and they would do art therapy there, but mm-hmm. I'd never heard of it used outside of an inpatient treatment center. And so mm-hmm. for that to just be a f- sole focus, I think is something I was even unfamiliar with. Yeah. So imagine trying to now, as you've decided, well, okay, I'm going to be an art therapist. Then you're going to try to do next level art therapy. And that is when I become licensed, I hope to do actual black and white photography in session therapy. Oh my God. I love that. So that's a whole realm that hasn't even awakened yet. So here I am to do it. Oh, that's so kick-ass that you're doing that. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) So who can go to art therapy? Is it addiction? Is it any kind? Anyone? Oh, that's so Kids, I have, um, so. Kids is what's going to be my next question. (laughs) Oh, Jenna would love, Jenna loves this stuff for kids. Yeah. For sure. I have a partner and between the two of us, I have a grandbaby from my first marriage and he Aww. is with us quite a bit. And then there's three others and three of the four are in art therapy. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. That would be that's my so dream. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they want to draw gosh. all the time. And, you know, it's a really yeah. cool thing because we talk about like, what if we don't have words? Well, let's draw, you know? And mm-hmm. so today going into the uh, I had the day off today. And so I was going in with my grandson to the grocery store and he goes, well, I don't know how to write all the words. And I said, well, draw me the pictures. And he yeah. did. So it was oh. like that really like cute moment. Yes. Yeah. And my son has done that. And my dad had a TBI, which then led to dementia, Alzheimer's and all of that. And he was a very successful artist mm. throughout his childhood, adult life and everything. And then he lost the ability to see pictures. And so he, all his paintings came out abstract, but you could tell how he felt and Mm. what he was going through in those paintings. And I actually have one. We have like a meditation room because that's a huge part of our healing in our lives in our house. And I have a picture that he painted from one of his happy and more glorious moments. But then you could tell like when things were tough, like his paintings were dark and messy and chunky like he used a ton of paint and it was just so amazing to me like that was one of the only skills at this point he's not even great at walking he's not really communicating but he could still communicate through his art and so I think that is just so powerful I'm so jazzed to find an art therapy I know I know (laughs) yeah no I think art is like love it's a universal language and Mm -hmm. we all see art differently and I think that's what makes it even more beautiful is that you know as a photographer I last year this was right before pre-covid I actually started an art exhibition and it was 12 of the most traumatic events of my life photographed And I was the subject instead of it being somebody else. And um, I remember distinctly doing the the shot where I used a needle and Mm -hmm. holding that up to my arm and taking that photograph and and doing all the the things. And when you work with black and white photography, it's very unforgiving, just like life. And uh, yeah, you you can see, you can always see somebody's pain if you look, if you really Mm -hmm. look. You can. you can really feel it through a picture yeah, even. For sure. Yeah. So what is a usual session like when you go to art therapy? Because I know we've talked personally about 
what to expect when you first go to a therapist. And I feel like this is a whole other realm. Like, obviously you're not going to just sit in a chair and talk. So I think it's really important to say this because I was in art therapy groups and then I was in individual therapy. And I just want to, I really want to say this for anyone who is an artist who is listening or anyone who doesn't believe they are are an artist, but you actually are an artist. Mm -hmm. I just want you to hear this. Like no art is bad art. So anyone can do art therapy. I mean, people who draw with stick figures, if that's how you draw, show up and fucking draw with stick figures. I was just going to say that. I was like, I can only draw stick figures and I'm not letting that dissuade me from going. (laughs) Just go, right? I I used to be in group therapy and somebody like, oh, this is so stupid in my you know, I, 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 my first like initial thing is like, it's actually really like, you know, you want to have like a, like a whole thing about their I art. Feel it. You like, Stop. <laughs> like, don't be dramatic, <laughs> but still like, it's good. Uh, but like a session, I'd say for me, it's very different now as I've moved with my art therapist. So one thing I really want to point out is when I decided to get clean, I did 90 and 90. So I did 90 meetings in 90 days. Mm-hmm. I scheduled myself with two therapists, one with an art therapist and one with a talk therapist. And I met with yeah. them both weekly. I also was involved with another therapist. So I just want to make it very, very clear that you don't just get to be sober because sober is not really a thing, right? Yeah. We're also addicts. What really yeah. the thing is, is that we are really, 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 I'd say traumatized people usually mm-hmm. yeah. in a really, really traumatizing world. And all somebody's asking you to do at a session is show up and draw whatever you're feeling. And if you don't feel like drawing anything, I mean, I have pages. So I brought my journal. So I have a journal. I have an art journal. That's how my sessions have played out for about a year. And now I moved to campuses. So for a year, what I've been doing is I was given a book. In my case, I don't whitewash the pages. I black them. So all the pages mm-hmm. of the book become black. And then I do art. And sometimes pages in the book, I will leave specific words and black out everything else on the page, right? So oh, I, wow. I use yeah. the book. Um, I have a page that says like, fuck your gender. And it's done in uh, Morse code. So nobody knows what it like. Uh, you know what I mean? Just like, just. Yeah. Because it's for you. Things. Yeah, for sure. Because it is, it is for me. And um, there's other stuff. Uh, Frida's in my book. I have photos of people that I love, people that I don't. There's a lot of fuck you pages in my book and a lot of mm. Letters that have been written to people oh, who this never so see them. Oh, so cathartic. I can like feel I need it this. <laughs> like I'm, I feeling, this. I'm yes. feeling this as you describe it. Yeah. Um, when my grandfather died was when I relapsed. Um, so I was okay. sober for almost a year and I relapsed with my ex-wife and uh, my grandfather had died. And I found I was antiquing after I recommitted myself to trying to be sober because uh, it's a choice you make every morning. Um, I found a little postcard in an antique shop uh, where he, his funeral was, right? And so like that goes in the book. And it's just, it's it becomes whatever the, the hell works. It's a living like being where it just- What is like, the best growing. way you could absolutely say it? It is like this living, breathing movement, right? So like one of the really, really important things going back to like, why you can't rescue people movement. If you don't see movement for themselves in their own lives and you start moving for them in your life, you are not helping them. You are only moving in your own life. If something does not have movement, it is usually dead. Hmm. So here's the thing. 
you keep trying to pick somebody up off the ground who doesn't want to get off the fucking ground themselves. I'm not trying to be this like, um, this is a choice. Every day I make the same choice to be sober. And I make the choice to, if I'm having a hard time, I mean, I'm not married yet, but I'm in couples counseling, <laughs> right? Good. I mean, yes. individual therapy, art therapy. And um, I, that's where I'm at in my life now. I, I went from doing therapy all the time and meetings all the time. And that's my support system. I think it looks like whatever the hell you want it to look like. Art, that really is the beauty of art therapy. Whatever you bring to that hour session, you usually are doing it with yourself. I get prompted sometimes. Sometimes she'll be like, Hey, remember when you were five and do you want to like, let's do a piece around that. And I'm like, how about we don't? And I leave mm-hmm. and what well, we do the piece. So <laughs> that would be me. I would be, she'd probably have to lock the door. I would try to be trying to run out. No way. You would, you would be sitting there for days and she'd be like, we're closing now, ma'am. And just crying the whole time. <laughs> One of the craziest moments I had in art therapy. And I remember this was very early on. Right. And I would do all of my artwork in pencil. And one day she came in and I'm like working in my journal and I'm like, you know, just drawing this face. And she grabs the pencil out of my hand. She goes, you have to use a pen. And I go, what? She goes, you don't get to erase your mistakes anymore. Wow. Oh, Shit. I knew that gave me goosebumps. I know. Yes. <laughs> Felt it coming. <laughs> I'm like, who is this witch? But mm-hmm. Exactly. But people with anxiety, and I think that is almost like a metaphor for anxiety. Like people with anxiety want to write their whole lives in pencil. So when they fuck <laughs> up, they can go back and I fix it. You, Jenna, put your Lisa Frank away, Jenna. <laughs> I only write in pencil. <laughs> because you want to be able stop. to go back and fix I it. Know. And I think that's a good point is like, you really are just writing your life in permanent marker as you go and you never get to erase it. And it's all part of our story. And we have to just kind of absorb it because we don't mm-hmm. get to just like shoo it away because it comes back. It really Yeah. Does. Also like not picking up the person who's not moving. I think it's mm-hmm. really, really important also. And I'll just touch on it quick. We want to go back to our therapy. We can, but you can lecture me as long as you want. I know this is directed at me. And Perfect. I deserve it. it absolutely <laughs> is. I know I need it. (laughs) There needs to be an intervention, not to mock interventions, but I need an intervention. And this, another situation came up last night with another person that I think I'm 99.9% sure is using substances and has come back into my life in a way that is triggering to me. And I'm once Mm -hmm. again, trying to say to my husband this morning, how can I help her? And he's like, Mm -hmm. you can't, you have to stop it. And I was like, I don't know how to stop Josh. Let me tell you how how you can help her. Can I tell you how you can help her? Yes. Blocker. Fuck. I know I did, but I forgot a cu- I, I forgot a couple of areas and she snuck back. Yeah, in. you got a blocker everywhere. Yeah. It's so much work on the email though. And I'll, no. I'll do it tonight, I promise. Okay, deal. Deal. And I will hold you to that. I'll check in later. I promise. Uh, okay, perfect. <laughs> okay, but so here that brings us to another question. And I think sure. it goes right along that line. Advice for anyone watching from the outside, how to help a person without entangling themselves. So is it just a cut and dry? If they can help themselves, you don't help them. So let me give you a little backstory, right? So this is my very sibling. Okay. Okay. I was in active addiction. I had a sibling who was in active addiction. Okay. I called to do an intervention on my sister. (laughs) Well, you were at youth. And I can say that. Um, And then the lady who we, she accepted, it was like a whole thing though. You know, I let the whole family Mm -hmm. in at 5 AM. It was, you know, she hated me for a bit. It's fine. We're good Mm now. We dropped her off at rehab. And then the lady turned to me and looked at me and she goes, when you want to get clean, here's my number. And I was like, Oh, 
she, she I, like she had asked me and I was like, oh, I'm clean. I'm good. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't. But no. to say that, so right, that was, I think, in the most loving way that I can say it to you is that even she went back to mm-hmm. using and it didn't help. And I've never called again. And so I did all of the things that I knew I could do. And when I couldn't do anything else, when all of the things had ran out, because you're not going to walk away from this and be like, well, because Virginia said this, now I can mm-hmm. just let it go. You won't. You're yeah. going to still do the thing and you're going to still try to save. And that's okay. Because sometimes we do need people who rescue mm-hmm. us and sometimes it does work. But when you have exhausted every single resource available and they haven't shown up one time yeah. to use that resource, you then are stepping into your own addiction. And that is being mm-hmm. addicted to saving people. Oh, that mm-hmm. if I have any addiction right now, besides coffee, it is saving other people and no, none of them want it. And I just keep forcing it on them. It is inappropriate <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so this, this is important. You can't will them to want it. You will not love them enough to get them sober. You will not be able to show up enough to get them sober. You will not even be able to pull off an intervention and get them sober. Sometimes what we need to look at is why we want to save other people and why that is consuming us rather than looking at what is it that I'm avoiding by trying to save somebody else? My and husband I'm not saying literally you are. said that. No, my husband said that this morning. He goes, <laughs> when he left for work, he goes, I want you to go on the internet today and look up the reason that you feel like you need to save everyone. And he was yes. like, you'll be able to find the research and you need to study this. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, that's what the internet is for. Good day. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> you can't save anyone. Okay. And even if, and see, that's the thing. And what you were saying is even if I could save them and get them to take the first step, nobody stays sober not doing the work. So am I going to stay there and hold their hand through every step of the work too? Like, no, you don't, they don't get stay sober unless they do the work. So I'm really wasting my time, even if I do get them to go somewhere. You know what I mean? So what's really important for you is to re-listen to this episode and remember those exact words you just (laughs) said. I will. I promise. (laughs) Jenna knows how much I love re-listening to the episode. Oh, I know. This one I will because I'm learning so much. Okay. So Virginia, so if someone you love, like say it's a spouse or a parent or a child is dealing with addiction, what do you do? Because personally, when my husband was struggling, sometimes I hate to say it and I'm just going to say it because we're open on this podcast. Sometimes I was the one that wished, I wished I was the one with the addiction because it was so hard not intervening and not being able to basically save him And I had, I was at such a loss and I didn't know anyone else going through it. I had no resources and being on that side of it was also a huge mental struggle. And it led me down paths mentally that were not healthy as well. So what do you suggest somebody who is with somebody or in a, you know, a family relationship? What do we do to help others? Yeah, let's, let's go through that. Right. So the first thing that I, I, I pause and then I, mm-hmm. I start thinking, what is true of addicts? So addicts build grit. And by grit, I mean, if we could use addicts to use their power for good, we would save the mm-hmm. whole fucking world. I say world. this all the yes. time. <laughs> we would. And I promise you that is the truth to its core. We can find any way to do anything. Let me tell you. 
They're the I most powerful beings on the planet. They are Hulk and Spider-Man all rolled into one, but for evil. Why can't we resource <laughs> it into good? Because you have to do your trauma work, right? You, If you don't do your trauma work, if you don't do the thing that is the reason you are the addict, you will continue to be the addict. You're just on a vacation from your addiction if you're not going to do the hard work. That's why you relapse. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know that, that that sounds simple, but it is why you relapse. So here's the thing. You have a spouse, you have a partner, you have a loved one, whether that be older or younger. I think it's really, really, it's really, it can be talk. It can become a very toxic relationship very quick mm-hmm. because an addict is never. So I'll say this about myself and not about anybody else. I was the best narcissist in the world when I was in active addiction. I am not a narcissist when I am not in active addiction. And what I mean by that is everything was about me. Mm-hmm. I could lie to you about anything. Anything, right? yes. yes. And so you know that, right? Because you got lied to. Mm-hmm. I can tell. You were lied yeah. to. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, you guys are not alone. Right? Addicts perfect lying. Perfect it. Again, if we could use our powers for good, oh, no. it would do a lot. I'm hoping we get there before I leave the planet, but we'll see. We're going to figure it out. But I think the most important thing to do is remember that we are all the same distance from the ditch. Mm. And that includes you. So where I'm standing and where Jenna is standing and where Janelle is standing, we're all the same place in the road and we're all the same distance from the ditch. And I don't want to say that I came up with that. That actually from a friend of mine who was in rehab with me. He overdosed two weeks after he shared that with us. That is something that has stayed with me throughout Mm -hmm. my recovery, my own relapse, right? There is nobody who has this right or wrong. We're all doing the best that we can. Addicts specifically, if they don't see what they're doing, Mm -hmm. they don't understand that we're all the same distance from the ditch. So they start using people around them. They start victimizing people around them. And the issue with that is now you are a victim of somebody else's victimization and their trauma. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Uh, Josh said that to me this morning when I was reading him an email I received. He was like, you understand that as long as we can focus, this person can focus the attention and the negativity onto you, they don't have to look in the mirror. And so they're you're becoming their target so that they don't have to feel a target of their own emotions. And I was just like, oh, fuck, I totally am feeding into this again. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this, and and Jenna, to you said your husband's addiction, right? So mm-hmm. you didn't count yourself as an addict at that time, and maybe you never have. Mm-hmm. I can make peace with that. I will say this about people who are in relationships. It is very, very difficult for somebody who is not an addict to stay with somebody who is an addict. And vice versa. It's very, very difficult for two addicts to get clean together. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about that. You obviously dealt with some struggles. I'm sure you got lied to. I'm sure you got victimized in m- many times. I'm sure you felt like this is never going to change. You felt all the things. And all of those things are valid and true. And there was still nothing you could do. It still right. had to be his choice. And that's important to remember because we all, oh my God. I, I have lost so many friends to addiction. When I went to rehab, I have one friend from rehab that is still alive. Wow. And um, that tells you the truth of addiction and the truth of what it does. And it is slowly behind all of this misinformation and behind all of this misguidance and behind all of this like 
uncompassionate, right? I'm not saying don't love the person, love the hell out of them, show up every day and tell them that you love them. That's fine. But every single time they use, make sure you're the person who's like, that's not how I want our life to be. So for us to continue to exist, you have to shift and something has to change, right? That's kind of the beautiful part about marriage. It doesn't matter if it's same sex, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about marriage is that it's two individuals who are collectively healing their own generational trauma. And sometimes that looks different. And sometimes that means that you are going to end up with an addict because they cannot deal with their trauma. Yes. And then when they start doing the work, hopefully that changes and that narrative changes Mm -hmm. for you. But I think it goes back and I don't mean to say it in like an uncompassionate way, but they got to make the choice. No, I think that's yeah. Exactly Jenna talks right. about that yeah. on another episode where when she kind of forced her husband's hand, he went and did it, and you know dotted the i's and crossed the t's, and it didn't really stick at all. And when mm-hmm. he chose to change his life, is when it sticks. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a there's a book by Alice Walker, and I just like the quote from the book. And I think the quote from the book I keep with me. I mean, I, I keep many things with me. Obviously, from Untamed, I call everyone a fucking queen and a goddamn cheetah. So that's what everyone is. I don't care who you are. Um, yeah. But Alice Walker has a very very beautiful way of putting it. And you know, we are the ones that we have been waiting for. And I and I've I've talked about this quote. And we need to stop. So like. I shared with Janelle, this is why your podcast is so incredibly important because we have to stop hiding. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what race, what gender, it doesn't, none of that matters. We need to stop and we just need to all tell our stories. Cause here's the thing, us telling our stories, that's what saves people. Yes. Right. Jenna, you sharing your story. It's your story from your husband's trauma, right. And him Mm -hmm. trying to deal with his trauma whatever that is, it's not any of my business. We don't even need to go there, but your story is not the same as his. And you need to remember that. And your story is so important to tell. And a lot of partners forget to tell their part because the addiction Mm -hmm. part becomes the biggest part of the whole grandiose storytelling. Right. Mm -hmm. And really what we both need to do as individuals in a partnership is tell our stories because both of our stories can collectively heal a whole legion of people if we just tell our stories. Oh, that's so what we Fuck want. Yes, yes <laughs> yeah. that's all we want. When yep. we were going to start this or not start this, we were like, what if we could help one person? That was our yeah. whole goal. Like, what if we can help one person by not hiding under a rock and not sharing our story? And mm-hmm. every week we get a dozen people mm-hmm. that we've helped. And if we, if those dozen people can go talk to another dozen people, what if this can just keep spreading and a whole bunch of people can feel like they don't have to hide in their closets with their shame anymore? Yep. Like that's all I want in this world for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's the quote, right? We, we are the ones that we have been waiting for. We're not waiting mm-hmm. for somebody to come in, you know, next year. And we're not waiting for some, we're already here. So let's heal each other. Well, so, I want to point out real go. quick on your um, sharing your stories. I think that is so beautifully put. And it's something that I've been really working on with my husband. Cause when I lost my parents, that was my trauma and hmm. everything I went through but I also have to realize that he has his story. And even though they were my parents, he had to hold down the house, deal with everything he saw me in a deep depression. I was pregnant at the time, as well as he loved my parents. And my mom was somebody that was huge in his sobriety. And when he started sharing that part of his story, I never realized 
how deep into grief he was until he opened up and started sharing it. And I was like, oh shit, you also have a story and I've been overcome with my own. And the fact that we can share that together and have grown that relationship has just been so beautiful. And I think that is a wonderful point that we all have our stories and it's not just the person that's currently suffering and is in the forefront of it all. And I think that is beautiful that you said that. Okay. Ready? Here, here I come. I'm ready. (laughs) This is, and I know this is going to sound like I'm trying to fix people again, but I won't, I promise. (laughs) All right. I'm just going to ask for advice on how I can secretly fix people without being naughty. No. Okay. Okay. There is a certain someone I am thinking of, and this is a person that I reached out to you about. What is your advice? Let's pretend that this person that is struggling is listening to this episode right now, and Mm -hmm. they think I am 36 years old. I have fucked up my whole life. I'm in so much legal debt. I have no driver's license. I have commit. I have a record. I have had seizures. I have partial paralysis. I am too far gone. There's no point in getting my shit together. Or let's talk about another elderly woman that is 65 years old that has never dealt with her childhood traumas and it has haunted her her whole life. You have been what's the polite way to say you have been in the low places. And I assume there was probably a point in your life when you and you said this, there was points in your life when you said there's no coming back from this. I'm better. I'm better off checking out. What do you say to a person that thinks I'm too far fucked? I can't come back from this because you are the ultimate mascot Mm -hmm. for someone that can be too far fucked and come back and make a kick ass comeback. So what do you say to a person that says, I'm done for, like, I'm just going to ride out this addiction and let it roll? All right. Sure. First, I say I love you. No. Um, and I understand. And I know what it's like to be curled up in a ball and to think that that's it, that the, mm-hmm. the best life I will ever have will be, I will wake up, I will get my drugs, I will do my drugs, and then I will get up and I will do it again. So five years ago, I was married in an abusive relationship. I was in active addiction. I was using with children in the home. I had never gone to college. I, I mean, I'll just be honest and just as frank as I possibly can. I was doing shit with my life. Mm-hmm. And then really what happened for me, and, and I, I will say this, the first time that I, I got sober, I did it for my grandson and I ended up relapsing. And so I was in a meeting and I was at a meeting and the speaker was holding a baby girl. And she had a pacifier in her mouth. And I remember him holding her up in front of all of us. And he said, I'm going to speak on her behalf, the words that she can't tell you. And he said, I'm going to need you to be sober so we can be together again. And I realized if I ever wanted to see my grandson see like the real version of me, I was going to have to show up and do a lot of hard shit. And um, I then started doing hard shit even before I got sober. I enrolled in school. Nobody told me to do it. I enrolled in school. I decided to keep going to see the witch. I did it, like, <laughs> right? Like I just did the next best thing, right? Like Glennon talks about it, right? Glennon. Like it's just the next best thing. Next and best so for thing. me, the next best thing just kept happening. And 
all of a sudden, now I've, I have 827 days of sobriety. Wow. 407 of those days I did not see my grandson for. Wow. He was kept from me, right? Like there's multiple trauma that happened while I had to get mm-hmm. clean. Yeah. And I think the best way I can say it to anyone who is listening. Yeah. Cause I didn't know what 30 seconds of being clean would look like, but I knew that I didn't want to die. And I really had to get, and I did, I overdosed three times during my drug use. I mean, I, by all means, we shouldn't be having this conversation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. However, I just decided every single day I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. And so what was the next thing I could do to not die? And I don't have, you have to find it in that deep pit of anguish and pain and just like, this is it. I don't care. You have to find that thing. And it doesn't have to be a person. It doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be like, maybe I'll be an artist. It doesn't have to be any of those things, right? None of those things I knew when I made that decision. The only decision I woke up and made was I am going to choose to love myself enough today to live. Wow. I fucking love that so much. And I only cried a little bit. So if you're not watching on YouTube, it's totally fine. It's everything's fine. But I also think that's a good point and something you touched on there. Please don't ever think that you're gonna get sober, stop using the substance, and then mm-hmm. nothing bad will ever happen to you again. Because guess what? You're all the shit happen. happens, just so you it's, guys know all of it, it happens. still happens. You're just conscious for it. So and you can feel just, it all. Yes. Oh, you can feel it all. And so, but feeling it all is so much better than not feeling it. And And not at first, don't try to sell that bullshit. True, 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 true. At first you're shaking and you're sweating and you're sick and you're pooping your pants. (laughs) It gets ugly before it gets good. But even if you have, there's people that I listened to a podcast and there's a guy that had 27 years of sobriety and his dad died and he like, your Mm -hmm. your people are still going to die. You're cat's still going to get hit by a car. Like shit is still going to happen to you. And if you are working the programs and the steps and going to like, she goes to what, four therapists at points. I go to two or three at times, plus a doctor for med management. Like if you're working your ass off just a little bit harder to stay sober, you're still going to be able to maintain. And if you fuck up and fall off, get back up. Don't call it a day. Right. Yeah. No, if you listen, if you fuck up and you get off the, the wagon, which I did, like I did that. I did that many times. This doesn't just happen one time, one time where I had went to an actual facility and then relapsed after that. I had tried to get sober so many times on my own, mm-hmm. which by the way, I just wanted to make sure I say this to people who are maybe in active addiction, please do not try to get sober Agreed. without contacting somebody who can help you, whether mm-hmm. that be a doctor uh, if it's an interventionist, whoever it is that you can receive healing from and however that looks, please do not try to get sober without that happening. Mm-hmm. And in certain, is it just alcohol or are there other ones? I know at least from alcohol, you can die getting sober on your own if you've been active hard enough for yeah. long enough. And I'm sure there's others you can die from. So if you're going to get sober, this is something to not just like, I'm going to lock myself up for a couple of weeks in my house, like, which I did get a team sport. And I had a grand mal seizure. Right. And mm-hmm. I ended up in the hospital. So like, yeah. let's, it's really, really important to not think that you can do this on your own. Cause you can't, you can't, you didn't get just, I, I think this is important for an addict to hear you. You did not become an addict on your own. 
Right. No. Do not walk around with that narrative. You never became an addict on your own. You You did, however, have to make the choice to get sober on your own. And there's the difference. It's really, really important, though, that addicts understand that there are resources. There are many, many resources. The first thing you have to do, though, and and I think, Janelle, you said it very, very poignant. Um, We need to remember that getting clean, that is only taking away the numbing of your trauma. The next thing you have to do is look at your trauma. So it's like a whole, I mean, this is like, we got about five parts we could go through here. Yeah, but like getting clean is getting the first base. Now let's <laughs> now getting the second base is let's yeah. look at our traumas. Getting the third base is actually doing something and addressing your traumas. And like we could make this in many analogies, but removing the substance is step one. There's a shit ton of steps after that. So know that you're not just going to be able to be like, I'm throwing all my liquor away. And Mm -hmm. that's the end of the story. Like, let's just be honest, addict to addict, whoever is listening right now, you know, you just buy new liquor. So just stop wasting stuff, please. Yeah, yeah, I mean, really, right? Like, let's just be honest about it. Let's talk to that. I think that's the other issue. People act like addicts are and you can't like speak to them or like, yeah there's not this big divide between all, we are all traumatized in some way or some form in our lifetime. And the people that you meet who aren't traumatized, God bless them and universe bless them or whatever you believe in, (laughs) whatever it is great. But also at the same time, really, really remember that the person who's going to be hardest on themselves in a situation is the addict, not you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, Jenna. Do you well, have I have a quick question? question. Are you, I know you mentioned therapy. Do you go to AA or NA or do you recommend that for anyone else that's wanting to so kind of go down this path? Absolutely. I started NA, I started with NA. Um, okay. I identified more with my drug use and that mm-hmm. being an issue than I did with my alcoholism. Okay. That was silly of me. But anyway, I got to do more work on both of them later. So, But I think that that's a fair thing to say, too, is I don't think people should just – it's like finding a good therapist. Like Absolutely. I did – when I quit drinking, I didn't know kind of where I laid on the spectrum. And so I did 90 and 90 at AA as well. And now I more so due to, like you said, generational trauma and um, history – relate more to an Al-Anon situation. I know that one-on-one therapy is a better fit for me in regards to that. So it's there's no one size fits all. And if you identify more as an NA or NA is Narcotics Anonymous, for anyone that doesn't know, AA is Alcoholics Anonymous. There's all the anonymous. There's Overeaters Mm -hmm. Anonymous. There's all the anonymous for any addiction you could have. There's Gamblers Anonymous. Find your anonymous with a simple Google search. And then if you get there and realize like, these aren't my people, I may have a different trauma that's triggering something, then try the other anonymous. And you can like kind of, do you agree that you can kind of swivel around and feel- You got to find your tribe. Mm -hmm. When you You, find where you need to be, you know it. You you will know. So I, yes, I did start with NA. So here's the thing I I should, I think, Jenna, I shared this with Mm -hmm. you. It it became very clicky. It became like- I was like, oh, hell no. Like, mm-hmm. I already hate myself. I don't need to hate right. myself more because <laughs> other people got some, like, no, hell no. I need to like yeah. heal myself, right? Yeah. So for me, the rooms didn't work and that's okay yeah. to say, and I'm going to say yeah. that. Yeah. So I started doing therapy twice a week. At the time when I started, I was only doing once a week. So then I started mm-hmm. twice a week. So I was like, I need more help. Good job. The other yeah. thing 
absolutely there's no one size fits all we all do we talked about that in an episode that hasn't aired yet and that Mm -hmm. if you think that you need two times a week therapy one day is talking about the problems the second day is revisiting the problems like two times a week is a rad amount of therapy we're all for it yeah and do whatever the hell you need to do just do the thing so that you can heal this the stuff um Mm -hmm. i think there are really good na meetings there's a lot of Right now, some of them are online. You can come mm-hmm. in kind of like I am right now, completely black screened, not even have any initials, right? That's the anonymous part of all of it. Yeah, I think therapy is a really, really important thing that we neglect in yeah, when sure. looking at addiction. Therapy is a big thing we neglect. Like I said, trauma to me is what makes addicts. So that is what I think you have to go through some form of trauma therapy, decomp- you know, just like all the things Maybe you only do it for a short period of time, but if it works, it works. I now currently in my life, 827 days in, I still see uh, an art therapist. I still, so I'm actually kind of along the lines with you, Janelle, I'm actually working on Al-Anon stuff because I'm looking at other people's bullshit mm-hmm. because I've worked on a lot of mine. So Y'all I'm be dragging me down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at and- my family's stuff. And Al-Anon, for those of you that don't know, is like a support system for, what is it, friends and what family? Are, what are the, or, I don't, yeah, what's Friends and family okay. or children of, you know, addicts. And, uh, yes. And listen, check, it's check, for check. anybody <laughs> yeah. who's been affected by somebody who is an addict in your life. Oh, I can't that's wait to awesome. go. I'm going to find one that's a mm-hmm. virtual. That's my next homework from Dr. Virginia. <laughs> because I keep saying once the pandemic's over and I feel safe going mm-hmm. back, like that's just a style tactic. Let's no, I've been using, I need it they, today. Got, they got rooms. They got, Zoom rooms. Today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they got Zoom rooms. Don't play. Don't play. They got Zoom rooms. <laughs> yeah. Alan, I went to Al-Anon for a bit and it was wonderful. And I also went to, I guess they're called, correct me if I'm wrong, Virginia, but you have open and closed meetings, at least for Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I went to some meetings because my husband wanted me to go with him, which I was very surprised. really smart. Yeah. Uh And there were a lot of couples there. And so it was just really interesting. And you don't sit there and it's not judgy at all, but you also share your trauma with the circle. So don't expect if you go to these open meetings and- you don't identify as an addict, don't expect to just sit there and listen because you're expected to share. Yeah, you don't get to sit behind the one-sided mirror and just no. observe like you're a part. And so that was And I think helpful. what Virginia said in terms of like, yeah, you can find a clicky AA, move on. Mm-hmm. I also um, found that I couldn't do women's meetings because I'm such an empath that hearing <laughs> the stories and I had to save them all. I, I probably, oh my God, yeah, I was like, get in my car. Come on, guys, you're sleeping in my house tonight, sleepover. No, but it, I had not dealt with any of my trauma. All I had removed was the substance. Um, and I was taking on all of their emotions on mm-hmm. top of my trauma. And so I started going to mixed meetings and speaker meetings so that it would be one person's story because I could handle one person's yes. hard stuff. I couldn't mm-hmm. handle 25 women's hard stuff. It was like I wasn't sleeping and it was like, mm-hmm. I'm putting that on top of my trauma. It was not a good mix. I can and only so, imagine. Oh, yeah. can you imagine me? Like I can fix you all. And I'm like three days <laughs> removed from from drinking myself. And I'm like, let's all fix each other, right? We don't need this. Let's go to Dairy Queen instead. Yeah. 
So find your fit and one-on-one therapy and couples therapy is my fit right now. And Al-Anon is going to be my fit. And Mm -hmm. I think what works for you works for you. Some people, I know people that have had AA save their entire life, their entire legacy. I think there is so much to be learned from reading the big book. I like educating myself. Absolutely. Um, And reading about your higher power and making amends and all of these things Mm -hmm. and getting rid of shaking off some of the shame is so important. And those are all principles of AA. But if it doesn't work for your trauma, keep, keep on trucking. Yeah. Also. And a lot of addicts get hung up. And I just want to say this for the addicts who are listening. If you are, I know you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Religion can look however you want it to look. So do not use religion as an excuse. Uh, important to say, because that, I mean, I'm just telling on myself a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, I came from Catholic school. So, um, yeah. I used religion for a long time as an as excuse a reason of, not like, to go why I'm not gonna. Right. And so I remember one day I was, I was talking to a fellow person in a meeting and we were just discussing and she shared with me, she said, I just place love the word love, love is patient right? Love is kind. That comes Mm -hmm. from the Bible. But then if we step outside of the Bible, right? And we talk about what do we always say at AA or NA, you know, God grant me the serenity serenity. to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Janelle, you should probably say that as a practice. The third part is not my strongest. I say the first two lines very, very confidently. And then that the wisdom to know the difference drops off and I whisper. Yeah, Yeah, that's the part that that means. (laughs) I I got Brandon a little plaque so that he can say it daily and I'll get you one too. I say it to my kids, <laughs> remember. Even, but, I, but I just whisper the last part because I'm not sure how to do it yet. <laughs> well, she really beautifully changed it. And she just, hers was love, grant me the mm-hmm. serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what word you put there, whatever word works for you. Because just, in AA, you start it with love. It's the Lord's Prayer, or what is it called? It has a name, the Serenity Prayer, but you start it with Lord, correct? And if you uh, just put love in is God, way yeah. So, like, God grant me, God this grant me the Serenity. Yep. So yep. Oh my don't God, worry I love about that. any of that bullshit. Just fizz that out, you know. Mm-hmm. Clean and if out. you find somebody that's like a legit old, they call them old timers in AA, like the <laughs> the do. old school, the OGs, they're yeah. going to tell you not to let God. God can be whatever you want. And I, yeah. I remember in one of my earlier meetings, he was like, he can be your toaster. Your higher power can be your toaster <laughs> if you want. Like, do not let, do not get hung up on the biblical stuff because that I really feel like a lot of the biblical stuff is a trigger for people right out of the gate. And mm-hmm. so let's not add that to our list of issues walking yeah. into our first AA meeting. Yeah. I think, I think you will find your tribe, how, whatever that looks like. You might build your tribe up of doctors, of therapists, of people in, you know, NA or A or Al-Anon or, you know, there's food addiction. I mean, anything you could think of, sex addiction, they're all there. The thing that I want to say to the addict, though, is that once you find your place, don't stop going. Keep going. Mm -hmm. Yes. Keep going. And if you cannot, if you cannot possibly. So I was seeing two counselors at one time. And I came to a place where I knew it was time for me to leave my counselor that we had both learned from each other the most that we could learn. And yes. this is really, really important. Sometimes you 
we feel bad. Like when, I don't know why as a human race, we feel bad when we make the best decision for ourselves, but sometimes it is you who needs to exit the situation and not the therapist who needs to tell you to go. So I just want to say that as well, that, you know, when you're with your tribe and you know, when it's time to change that vibe and you know what that's supposed to look like, just don't ever stop doing it. Mm -hmm. The next super simple thing. (laughs) (laughs) So five years ago, you were kind of in a really difficult place. Now you would say you're in a healing place, a good place. What would you kind of label it now? And then where do you see your path of life going? Or are you one day at a time kind of person? Do you have lifelong goals? Good. (laughs) Sure. Um, So I am, uh, I will say this. I am a healing person who is becoming a healer. And that is the way to put it. Um, And so- again. (laughs) That is how I look at every day of my life. Now that I have come back from, you know, rock bottom was my best friend for sure. I mean, I never wanted to unfriend rock bottom. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I survived at rock bottom. Subscribe to rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. No, for real. And yeah, now I have this very, it's amazing what you can do when you change your life. And when you make a decision to say, you know what, I, I can't do this, not one more day. And I mean, my counselor just said, do 30 days. I remember mm-hmm. sitting with her and I, I asked her this after I got divorced, of course. And I said, why didn't you ever tell me to leave? And I asked mm-hmm. her, I looked right in her face and I said, you never told me to leave. She goes, because if I would have told you to leave, you would have went right back. You needed to leave. And I think that is the most important thing as individuals. We need to remember it is our job to do our work, to heal ourselves so that we can help heal others. We don't get to negate the fact, though, that it's our job to do our work. And Mm -hmm. what a lot of people do is they try to throw that at somebody else. And Janelle, I imagine a lot of comes your way. Josh literally said this exact same thing to me this morning. He was like, I feel like you are trying to help other people because you don't want to look at yourself right now. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you're making that up. And he was like, I'm sorry (laughs) to say it. I'm sorry if it hurts your feelings, but I do. And I was like, you're being really mean. And he was like, again, it's not mean. I'm telling you the truth. And it was like, when you were just saying that, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, no. I mean, here's the thing. My culture didn't tell me for no reason when I got to this place and I'm talking to you ladies to remind myself that I did the work. I did it. You did. You can have the whole tribe, but you still have to show up every day for yourself And so I think where I'm at in my life now is it moving into that part of becoming a healer. It is a very Mm -hmm. interesting and very, there's a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of questioning. There's a lot of stuff, you know, um, part of becoming an art therapist is you have to do some really, really deep therapy. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm in the process of doing that and I've already done trauma therapy, but there's a lot of work you have to do to become a healer. But I also want to say that a piece of paper on a wall doesn't make you a healer. Mm-hmm. What you two are doing, you're healing, right? Just by telling the stories, saying the truth, that's healing. And I think if we can all wake up and say, today, I'm going to be a healer, we, we can do something, right? Like I'm going to choose to just be a healer today. And whatever that looks like, we can all do that. I mean, we can do that much. I think. Yeah. I'm crying. I'm so <laughs> I know. <laughs> And that takes yeah. a lot for me. So, but I um, mean, let's, yes. let's like, 
what if we all just wake up? Oh, my makeup looks so good right now. <laughs> Let's all wake up and say, like, what a beautiful world. Even if we take addiction out of the equation, mm-hmm. what if we raise little healers? And mm-hmm. what if we yep. try to be healers? And what if Jenna and I make ourselves so vulnerable and Virginia makes ourselves so vulnerable so we can heal one person and that person can maybe heal one other person and maybe we just do our best every day to wake up and be a healer. Like I literally am going to wake up tomorrow and be like, today I'm going to be a healer mm-hmm. and I'm going to work on myself first and not other people because mm-hmm. I lean a little bit to the healing of others when I haven't mm-hmm. healed all my own stuff. And I want us all to be healers in this podcast community, yep. please. I want to read something to both of you. Oh, I'm so, please do. How hard am I going to cry? Okay, I'm ready. So my counselor, my art therapist, she wrote this to me on my one year anniversary. Oh. She said, you are not the same person I met in 2017. Over the past year of hard-earned sobriety, I have observed you carefully rebuild the structure around your life to support your health and protect your joy while making meaning of the past. I've seen you overcome very difficult, intense moments, but also, and probably more challenging, the singular minute daily growth, the activities, boundaries, self-care, vulnerability, and connection with others. Even when it's difficult, you show up. You show up for the group and for yourself to find belonging, to hold hope, to connect, to hold your values, to make meaning. You choose yourself over addiction every day. Over the past two and a half years, I've watched you tirelessly apply your strongest self to actively change your neurology, to build your brain and neural pathways to produce different reactions, feelings, and outcomes. It has been a pleasure to bear witness to your process your setbacks, goals, and achievements, and sit with you in that duality. I am so thrilled to see what you will accomplish in two and a half more years. On your one-year sober anniversary, I hope you feel that you have earned the right to trust your process and also the possibility for what life might not only look like in the future, but feel like inside. I know I speak for the group now, the past and future members, that we are happy to walk with you on your travels and future adventures. And I think the thing that I take from that is this, we are all just walking each other home. So let's Mm -hmm. fucking take care of each other. Good day. I have to go now. I know. (laughs) That's That's so good. Yeah. That gives so much light and hope to an active user that is listening to this right now on what a beautiful world they can come into if they put in the work that you've put in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think fucking hard really, work. It's yeah. Yeah. This has been hell. This has been, it's been harder to not be an addict than it was mm-hmm. to be an addict. And, and unless you've been an addict, you might not understand what that means, but it is so much harder to not be an addict. I promise you it is yeah. so much harder, but it is so much. There's so much life. And, and what I really wanted to share with you too. So I just came back from vacation and I got on the plane and I had this moment and I thought, Oh my God, this plane She's is not going this. to make it. Mm-hmm. This plane's not going to make it. 
And I came all this way and I'm not going to get to help anyone. And I won't get to see like my Cheetos. I call them my Cheetos because I'm a cheetah. So I won't get to see my Cheetos grow up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to miss everything I did this for. And I sat my ass on the plane and I waited to see what happened. And I continued to show up for myself and to say, even with the thought of imminent death, right? Every time we for, we've become so accustomed, every time somebody gets into a car, right? Every time we walk by somebody who may be homeless, right? Every time we see the misrepresentation of, right, what is actually happening is traumatic racial issues yes. in our world, right? Like, let's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of shit that we are every day, right? It's scary to be a human. This year is about trauma in and of itself, even if we skipped past all our childhood shit. Like, let's be honest, this last year. So get on the fucking plane. Yeah, but get on the plane and see Mm -hmm. what happens. Right. And so here I I am. Right. I got on the plane. I was terrified. I'm like, I'm not, I I literally had one of these moments. And so I I talked to my, my art therapist the next day and I'm like, I had a full meltdown. I thought the plane was going down. And she's like, Oh, this is how you know you're healing. You're scared <sighs> to lose the life that you have earned. And she was like, yes. my work, I like my work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a really cool moment. Oh, but that it's is- so exciting. And when yeah. you told me this story earlier this week, I think you had said that you spent so long wishing you could die. Mm-hmm. And now you've come to a place where the worst thing that could happen would, you, would be mm-hmm. that you would die. Like, that is the full spectrum of going from the lowest low to where you are now, that the scariest thing is you don't get to complete this joyous mission that you're on. And that is mm-hmm. such a, that is a complete book of healing. And everything that happens after this point where you come to a place where your biggest fear is not completing your work is such a fucking frosting on top of the cupcake. I feel like mm-hmm. everything that happens from that point on for you is going to be so rad. And there's going to be shitty stuff. There's going to be gross sprinkles here and there. But mm-hmm. everything that you do from this point forward is huge. Absolutely. I have no doubt. I did not. I, you know, I, I'm addicts and, and um, people in recovery are not very good people at like saying, praising themselves. Right. Um, but one no. of the- <laughs> We're really bad at it, if you guys haven't realized. Uh, But um, I am a badass goddamn cheetah. Yeah, you are. So is every single person listening. Mm -hmm. You all can do the same exact thing. You just take it step by step. You know, when I was trying to heal my image issues when I was younger, I remember somebody told me, pick one inch of your skin and tell that one inch of your skin every single day. I love you. I love mm. you. I love you. And then the next day, pick a new inch. And by the time you have this whole being that you love when you get to the end of all the inches, right? So that's really yeah. what this is all about. Do it I just like it. a little bit at a time. I love that. Yeah. That's such a beautiful thought. Slow down. Also, please, people, slow the fuck down. Please, <laughs> I, I beg you, slow down, hear your body, listen to your body. If you're on the plane and you think the plane's going to go down, go through the feeling, do the thing that you don't think you can do. But mm-hmm. also like when you get to that point of, oh my God, if I die, that will be the worst thing that happens to me. 
start telling your story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that message goes across so many different levels, anxiety, depression, all of it. I mean, I know depression a lot of the time kind of goes with addiction, but as a person who struggled with depression, that is so beautifully said because I've been in those points where that's all I want is for everything to end. And now to be in a place where Mm -hmm. that's the worst thing is just such a beautiful thing, but it doesn't mean that every day is easy. I mean, every day I have to wake up and fucking get on that plane and put on my seatbelt and expect some turbulence, but I have to do it every single fucking day. And it's scary and it's hard, but the world is just so beautiful. And if we just slow down and like you said, listen to our bodies and listen to the people around us and just help one person. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really point. It's, it's really important to remember that in the beginning of my recovery, when my grandson was not in my life Mm -hmm. for 407 days, my art therapist told me you will see him again. And for 407 days, I didn't believe a thing that came out of her mouth Mm -hmm. and 407 on that 407th day, when I picked him up and I put him in Mm -hmm. my arm, we hugged. Right. And we had that moment. I had therapy the next day and I was like, you fucking witch. <laughs> she yep. knew. She like, knew. I'm like, what voodoo oh. is this? That is beautiful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. If you just hold on and you, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to believe in it. That's not even, mm-hmm. I'm talking to the addict right now. You yeah. don't even have to believe that you can do it. Just do it. Just like one day, wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to try today. And then try again the next day. And just, you don't have to believe in the process. You believed long enough in your own downfall. You, If you can't give 30 or 60 or 90 days to your life, maybe, maybe you can't do it. But I would say to every single one of you, like somebody said to me, I dare you to do it for 30 days. And if you want to go back, you can always go back. Mm, you can. I guarantee you won't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. Where Virginia, where are you going to be in five years? <laughs> I will be married to uh, my partner for sure. No. Uh, there'll be four Cheetos, maybe five. We'll see. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. I know. I spent most of my, like, while you guys were all like all adulting and you know, going to school and being moms and like all that. I was a drug addict. So, yep. so I have you a little making up to do. <laughs> I was busy being a drug addict. I'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I will definitely be an art therapist. Um, I will probably be in a practicing. An, I will. I will be in a different division of art therapy. And what I mean by that is, I will be doing art therapy the way that it helped me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sharing that healing process. I will be working on a TED talk. Um, Yay! Well, and. Yeah. And a book. Yeah. Both of those two things, a Ted talk and a book, my counselor said, you don't get to leave the planet without him. So I was just going to say that I just inserted book for you and was just going to say like, I'm going to insist on a book, please. I'm glad that your therapist has already said that that's a, that's a prerequisite to you departing earth. So your planes will be fine until that happens. Yeah. I mean, really the most beautiful thing though, about all of that, what I can tell you is that I'll be sober. Mm-hmm. And be and you'll be healing people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. This is this is the other part. Um, yeah, you don't get to get healed without becoming a healer. So 
You don't get to earn the right to be fully healed unless you are willing to give your healing away. And I think that's really, really important. We all need to remember that. Mm -hmm. Um, Give it away because we only get to do this one time and we only get to do this for a short period of time. Life is vapor in reality. And let's like not spend it trying to fight each other. Let's spend it trying to heal each other. Like if you wake up every day and you say today, I'm going to be a healer. It'll happen. Just keep talking about it. Just keep doing it. However that looks. Yeah. I can't and wait to we'll listen see to this you already. I know. And we'll see you back here for your book release, your TED Talk release, when you yeah. start your own art therapy. Sure. <laughs> when you have a rival podcast that's better than ours, we will come on it. Thank you. I know. My I'm not even going to front. My therapist was like, you know, you could do the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I could, you completely but, could. Fuck and yeah. It, yeah. If people have more questions about this episode, we will definitely bring Virginia back on and do a digging mm-hmm. deeper episode, which we love to do, where we just answer people's questions. And um, I honestly don't even have words to convey how thankful I am for you I know. coming on and being so vulnerable and being so honest. But I know that as someone who has done the meetings, that this is something that is healing and helpful to you. But I hope that this has helped someone else or someone that knows someone. And you could have easily spent your Friday night doing something way cooler than this, but you (laughs) chose to come on here and help someone. And we will never, ever, ever forget how much we have learned and how thankful we are for you. Mm-hmm. The you know the the teaching goes both ways and and so so both of you hear that as well. Um, Thank you. You guys are badass and, and some <laughs> goddamn cheetahs. And I am so grateful to call both of you a part of my tribe, and you will remain that. And we will all continue to show up and be healers. And you guys keep telling your stories. You guys keep sharing other people's stories. You guys keep doing exactly what you're doing. And I promise you, you have already saved somebody, but you will save many more people. Thank you. That's yeah. I can't even say anything else. I mean, I don't I don't get emotional, but thank you. I mean, I've never seen Jenna cry. <laughs> and we've talked about our dead parents so many times that I've never seen Jenna cry. So this is big. Yeah. I mean, this has honestly even been healing for me. And so Agreed. thank you, Virginia, because just sharing your story has already made a difference in my life. And it shows me that I do have a lot of areas to still work on and I am ready to put in that work. So Me too. thank you. Yeah. I mean, I asked my art therapist, when do I get to stop doing art therapy? And she said, when you die. And then I said, well, when yep. do I get to st- stop doing couples therapy? And she said, when you both die. Yeah. So <laughs> Hell yes. We advocate for lifelong therapy and working on yourself. Never it's quit. not a, there's not an end date. And if there's your therapist no dismisses you, then that's not the right therapist. <laughs> Trust me, there is no end date to this shit. No. Have, like, you literally have to do this every day, but I will say mm-hmm. this. I would do this every day over what I was doing every day mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. Easily. A fucking men. A yes. fucking yeah. men. So with that, call your therapist, your art therapist, whoever you want to help you. <laughs> and take your meds. Take your fucking meds. And also... <laughs> Do not stop being an addict without getting help, please. Yeah. Amen. Yes.